0: Sometimes I do feel a little bit like, I just want to do business, like all this social stuff and all of these conversations, they're cool, but you know, they're not what I enjoy that much. And I went out one evening and I think like a few people came up to me and all that.
1: Dear viewers and listeners, welcome to another episode of Side by Side with myself, your host, Kazi Shafiq Rahman. Today we have a very unique and rare guest with us.
0: And if you're the first person to make moves, you're often one of the most successful if you get secured correctly
1: a property investor with multi-million pound portfolio youtuber podcaster he has more than sixty thousand followers on instagram his name is property by Kazi. a lot of people are kind of fearing a lot of people are selling a lot of people are like there are mixed kind of messages and signals
0: yeah Obviously, we always have to give a disclaimer that this is just my personal opinion (laughs) and, you know. But that being said, like, I'm a firm believer in
1: Can you go wrong with properties? I mean, if so, how can you go wrong?
0: Oh, you can can definitely go wrong. Like, you you touched on something earlier on, which is becoming emotionally attached. For some people, it can actually become almost like an addiction.
1: Where did your entrepreneurial journey begin? I take think. us right
0: at the beginning, all the way back. I could take you all the way back, all the to, way back, all earliest the way back. memory. Because because how old are you if you don't mind me asking? I'm thirty seven. Okay, so I'm thirty You're three, gonna be thirty four next month. Amazing. So we're not we're not too far apart. So my earliest entrepreneurial memory was was like the paper round. Just starting off again. You start off with understanding. Okay, I do some work and I get paid. Right. But then being an entrepreneur is all about trying to maximize how much you can get paid for the amount of time, effort, expertise you put in. So in my paper round, I was like, okay, I'm doing this paper round already, but because I was an entrepreneur, I went to the local, it's called Sainsbury's, at the time it's called Sainsbury's Saver Center, the really big Sainsbury's. And it had one of these machines where you could print a business card. So this was way before like Vista print and all these amazing what, things. What year are we talking? So I would have been like, I mean, I was in, I'm like, 12, 12, 12 I think probably so I can't work out what year that was but I would have been 12 so a good, a good 20 years ago so early early 2000s um, and I was like okay cool so I've got my, my business cards printed to say like um, like leaflet delivery you know expert or whatever the case was <laughs> nice. so then I went round to all the local pizza shops you know saying basically look I've already got this route we already do distribution we can put you know your leaflets inside the newspaper that we're already doing and I think that like, is my earliest memory of actually taking an opportunity and saying okay how can i get paid more than the person who's employing me you know wants to pay me effectively and i think a lot of the time it's that entrepreneurial spirit that gives you the ability to kind of maximize your earning potential um, so that's super early on my first business business outside of my, my leaflet delivery business that unfortunately wasn't a success um was a shisha business so interesting so i you know it was i think 2007 i want to say 2006 2007 i went to egypt for the first time it was my first time seeing i was like oh the shisha's like it's cool because i didn't drink so it was something social that i could do with you know friends and i liked it and i think when you're starting a business like doing something that you like is really important yeah so for me it was like, okay i like this but then beyond liking it when i started to speak to people understand more and i think that's the key ask questions that i was like There's some good money to be made here. So I, you know, invested in myself. We bought some Shisha pets and we started, you know, doing like these like kind of Shisha pop-up. We're trying to work out how to make it work, basically. So we're trying to do Shisha delivery, but there were too many overheads and people were breaking things and couldn't really get a value of service. And I realized there was this gap in the market because around that time, that was maybe four or five years after the smoking ban in the UK. Because before, you know, again, people that are a lot younger are going to forget that you could smoke in clubs and bars and restaurants and everywhere before. So smokers, it's an addiction they have to smoke. So they'd start creating these big outdoor smoking areas to service their clientele. So we'd approach them with a value proposition to be like, we don't have money to pay you right now, but we'll come and do shisha. We'll charge the consumer directly, and you can advertise it as a value-added service. So that worked well. We started working with some of the biggest I think the biggest nightclub in the UK, actually, which was Proud 2 at the time in the O2. So again, it's good signature. Started doing some stuff in Mayfair. And we were doing, you know, really good numbers with low overheads. From there, went into doing like festivals. So I always talk about my favorite one was like V-Fest. And it's like a 24-hour festival or, you know, it was, it was, you know, so your people are staying overnight. And after the event closes, they got nothing to do. So we were open, you know, we were super busy, like, you know, almost 24 hours a day. Wow. Um, did that and then took that into getting an actual fixed premises. That's like was a Shisha Bar, um sort of around Elephant and Castle area. Um yeah, that was that was the first business.
1: <laughs> wow. So if you were to go even backwards before mm. the business days, what were you, what was your childhood like? What uh, were you like as a child?
0: Do you know what? I feel like a lot of people you know, some people that like really remember their childhood. They'll yeah. be like, Yeah, I used to play with this person. Yeah. But I feel like I don't know if it's Maybe because I've had a busy life, but like a lot of my childhood is a blur. Like, um, you know, so my, mom, my mom's English, well, English and Welsh, my dad's Nigerian. Um, my dad uh, is a first generation migrant, so came over, studied. I remember him working a lot. So I remember not really seeing my dad that much, but he was working. I just knew he was working, you know, he just, where's yeah. dad, he's always working. Um, did amazingly, uh, qualified as a solicitor, um, and set up a convent, like um, his solicitors a partner. Um, I think I was, I've, I've always been laid back. Like, I've always been quite, you know, just, uh, you know, like when, when you know, people are planning stuff, like, oh, we want to go on holiday. Where do you want to go? I'm just like, I'll just go with the flow. I think that's kind of, I've always been quite like that in terms of personality. And I think I've remained like that even into into my later years.
1: Interesting. So your name, Kazi, mm-hmm. I'm also called Kazi. So uh, my <laughs> one is K-A-Z-I and you mm. are K-A-Z-Y. What is your ac- like name?
0: So my name's Kazim. So K-A-Z-E-E-M.
1: Kazim. and You know what? Funny thing is people call me Kazim. Yeah. K-A-Z-I-M. Yeah. Not because my name is Kazim. It's because my Instagram handle is K-A-Z-I-M-S. Okay. M-S means Muhammad Shafiqur yeah. and then Rahman. But people just make me. Make you Kazim. Yeah, yeah Kazim. Because, that's, because that's what you're not know. It's such a, such a coincidence, And you it's know? funny
0: because most of the people that I say, oh, my name's Kaz, they assume it's like Kazim, like um, I am as well
1: amazing so have you been to Nigeria or?
0: yeah yes yeah. so I've been to Nigeria I'm actually hoping to go there next month actually for when are we we may know yes yeah, so and next month for a wedding um I've been to, I haven't been for a while but um I've always enjoyed Nigeria when I go um we've got you know I, obviously I do property here um we've developed the family property over there so there's there's some stuff that I need to do work-wise interesting as I well. heard
1: Banana Island is, is really cool
0: yeah so banana island victoria Island, like super you know it's one of those areas where there are areas that match like mayfair in terms of your pound per square foot like you know there's there's it's a super dense population and like a lot of places there is a lot of income disparity but there are areas that are you know like ridiculously luxurious
1: amazing amazing so i've noticed you've been uh, going on uh, a number of podcasts um in the uh, past few weeks Mm -hmm. or months now how important is it for you to kind of showcase your work to to i guess to the i think i
0: think it's a really good question um i think it depends what you're trying to you know what you're trying to get out of everything everything kind of is like okay what's your end goal um so for, for a little while i hadn't kind of been that active in the social media space and I think sort of coming back into it you've got to understand Well, you're too busy building up yeah and i think also it you can sometimes get a little bit disenfranchised dis like disconnected from it because it is a lot like you're exposing a lot of your life you know your work etc to people and it does invite people like for for the good and also for the bad like into your life to ask you questions and it can feel very demanding so i did take that step back and i think for anybody that is in the social media space that is important to understand when maybe it's really good, but also understand when it's really bad. Because for some people, it can actually become almost like an addiction. They have to be on their phone. They feel like if they're doing something, it's not going the way they want to go. Like, you know, they they, they almost can't function.
1: Yeah. So on that note, um, I have this thinking where you're either an entrepreneur, a solid business person or you're an influencer. It's very hard to be both at the same time.
0: I think, yes. And no, like, so I would say, and I I sort of almost felt like that as well. But the more I kind of started to understand things, it's like the goal of an entrepreneur effectively is to be able to, as we spoke early on, be able to take, whether it's a skill set, time, you know, expertise, and basically be able to transfer that into some type of financial remuneration. Now, there are people that through um, influence, have been able to create businesses and brands and i think it's just not getting lost in the fame that's the difference yeah but the reality is like every if you work it backwards big companies now have a you know a massive marketing budget they pay to work with influencers or influencers or with people with influence because they effectively want to buy um you know basically want to buy the 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 views or the network or their interaction or engagement of these people um now if you can build that up and monetize then you've created a brand you've created your own marketing company if you're doing it for yourself you're effectively marketing for free yeah that you know in in terms of a story i'd say that i've got a friend of mine and i always talk about that the importance of collaboration that he runs a successful architectural firm and he was running it for a while was maybe you know a smaller firm um and off the back of my social media growth, he was like, one day I didn't even realize, Say, Kaz, like, because you mentioned me so much, I haven't had to do any, I stopped doing marketing because we were at full capacity of what we could do for the last year. And that kind of just shows the benefit of, if you have a good marketing arm, it can service another business. I do think they often go quite hand in hand.
1: Definitely, most definitely. So looking back um, at your, um, I guess, career, mm-hmm. um, as a property investor or developer, what was your first deal like and, and, and what happened? How did so, it go?
0: So you know what's funny? And I, I keep saying said I'm actually gonna have to pull the paperwork. I've started to just now say, you know what, let me give you the address and you guys can go fact check me because I'll say that the numbers I get right within sort of like five or 10,000. Mm-hmm. But um, the first one that I did, you know, in my own names, i have done some stuff with other people. The first one I did in my own name, own company name um, was a flat in Sydenham. So, Sydenham is um, in Southeast London, and it was a one-bedroom flat ex-housing um, association that was being sold at auction. Was it sold at auction? I have an is that ever auction or open market? I can't actually remember, but it was being sold, but because of the condition, I bought it on, with a bridging loan, and I ended up purchasing it for £210,000, give or take. Spent around £25,000 refurbishing it. Then you had like relevant fees, like the purchase costs, um, stamp duty, other associated purchase costs, and the back end sales costs, like the cost of the agent and the solicitors. I think we sold it for, I think we put it on the market for 300,000 and sold it for just over, I think about 305.
1: Amazing, so I mean, everyone chooses their business. I guess some people stumble across, some mm-hmm. people end up doing a certain business. For For example, mm-hmm. us fragrance business, it came. It, it wasn't kind of. It wasn't a goal to mm. make a fragrance business. It just happened. Mm-hmm. How is it for you? Like, was property something that you kind of I premeditated think, to so go I, into?
0: So I think it wasn't. So I, I meet some people, particularly now, <clears throat> and because of social media and because of access to education, people can you know dive into watch a hundred hours of podcasts about whether it's about a fragrance business and everything. That's the one for me. Whereas there wasn't that, I mean, there's books, but there wasn't that much kind of open source content that you could really dive into. Because I think, off the back of the Shisha business, that I was you know, lucky enough um, that was quite successful and made some money, it was then there were some things that I said, you know, I don't want to continue in this for the long term. Um, and, you know, it, I wanted to invest in something that I felt was quite safe. Because I think understanding your attitude towards risk and your own risk tolerance is really important because you can always get pulled in all these different directions, whether it be people investing in, you know, stocks and shares, currencies or all sorts of different things. But it's what, you know, what matches your risk tolerance yeah. and what you want and the idea of investing in something that's tangible that I can kind of understand that I felt like I had friends that were in estate agencies my dad being a conveyancing solicitor you know friends being in the building space I felt for I had a good network to be able to execute this successfully and I then think it's really proof of concept and I'm not sure I was going to ask you the question like yourself but I wasn't saying I want to get dive into the property and do it forever but I guess doing it once I really sort of kind of fell in love with the whole process of being able to create something and taking something, you know, like a sort of in a rough state and make it like, you know, a a diamond, so to speak.
1: Interesting you say that because I did see one of your Mm. walkthrough of your one of your properties and Mm. it's amazing. It's it's so luxurious. It's it's, it feels like, I don't know, it's like a very luxurious hotel Mm -hmm. or something. Is that something that you is that your kind of sweet spot, kind of taking something from
0: Yeah. I think I, I love the idea of being able to create something, particularly like, let, let's not get ourselves London's expensive, right? Yeah. But I've been fortunate enough to be able to travel all over the world, stay in nice hotels. And whenever I see them, I always try and take a little bit of inspiration. So there's a hotel I stayed in once in Dubai and I thought I need to do something like this. And this was long before. I feel like now the gold and the marble accents really in and it's everywhere. But this was, like, you know, five, six years ago when it wasn't as commonplace. And I'd seen I said, yeah, I'm going to do this. And then so the, the good side of it is that once I'd finished it and you created it, it's still, only a certain amount a property can sell for based on its geographical area, its type, etc. Um, so it was like a, a small house, you know, on the outskirts, it was at like an area called Epsom. There's like an example of one property, and um, finished this. It was a house that I bought as a two bed cottage, refurbished it. I think we bought it for like just over 200,000, end up selling it for 450,000. And I got a, a message like sort of a year later, like for someone saying, Oh, I live in this house, and I'm thinking, ah oh, they're going to be complaining, I did something wrong. They were just like, Oh, they said something like, you know, are oh, the there's an issue with the oven do you have the um the you know the the warranty for it? and I was like you know I'm quite organized I was like yeah no problem I sent it over to them and they were like that's perfect and then they were just like, I just wanted to say thank you like we can't believe we live in a house this nice still so like those messages there that you're not just creating property and you're doing business but you're actually creating something like you're creating a home for somebody that they really appreciate and I'm sure probably in your business just the idea of like a fragrance that maybe reminds them of somebody or an experience that they had. The so satisfaction, mm. I
1: guess, you know, for us, definitely, you know, when we create something and when we see people walking around yeah. with our bags in shopping centers, you know, that is the best feeling you, ever like,
0: for us. So I'm like, like I said, a proper South Londoner. And there was one time that, like I said, sometimes I do feel a little bit like, I just want to do business, like yeah. all this social stuff and all of these conversations. They're cool, but, you know, they're not what I enjoy that much. And i went out one evening and i think like a few people came up to me and they were like oh like i saw you on this podcast and i've been following you for this long and because i learned this this and this from you like me and my husband or me and my wife actually bought our first property and it's that kind of feedback loop of okay like you know you can it see the value that you. you exactly that
1: amazing so up until now mm-hmm. what is the achievement that you're most proud of and and what what was it
0: so i think i I probably I told this story a few times and it's like um you know, I think it it's happened a few times, but like the first time it happened was probably the most notable that when you're doing a development like above a certain size or like you know, you're building a new home, um obviously you get to there's an opportunity like for a like slight premium to be able to name the building. So um my late grandmother, her name was Khadija, which we've now built um like a block of flats, two blocks, like a muse development that we own and we've got like Khadija House and Khadija Walk. So being able to say that, you know. In this country? In this country, yeah. Amazing. So be able to say like, you know, in the streets of London, like that's going to be there forever. Like, you know, that. so you, I can drive past it, I can take people to it and be like, look, that's, do you know what I mean? That's something that we built and that's just something. So even like when family come over, like it's amazing for them to be able to see as well.
1: Amazing. That is so cool. Mm-hmm. Now, I want to, fast track to Mm. i guess what's happening now in 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 the i guess property landscape a lot of people are kind of fearing a lot of people Mm -hmm. are selling a lot of people are like there are mixed kind of Mm -hmm. messages and signals um out there you know what do you make of everything and what's your position
0: yeah obviously we always have to give a disclaimer this is just my personal opinion (laughs) and you know but that being said like i'm a firm believer in that there is no market a good business person can't make money in. It's all about understanding the market and then operating based on current market conditions. I, for example, if interest rates have gone up, you know people are slightly scared, then it means it's a market where you can offer more competitively you can offer potentially slightly below asking price. You can be a little bit more bullish with the you know the offers that you're putting out there. Also, you have an opportunity to be a little bit more creative. So whereas in you know, a bull market where everything's just selling over asking price, there's a queue of people out the door, when that's not the case, you can use more um, creative purchasing strategies, whether that be like option agreements, which are effectively like an option to buy a property at a pre-agreed price um, that you don't have to execute, but you have the opportunity to whether that be an assisted sale where i.e., for example somebody's maybe struggling with the sale of a property and you step in and say look you'll maybe put the funds up to refurbish it to get it to a certain point and you'll have a share of the profits uh, whether that be joint ventures so you know partnering with an existing landowner to do a deal but you know in a tough market there's more opportunities to do deals in a good market the market's going up and is saving bad deals but the reality is you know there's always going to be an opportunity to make money it's just a case of looking at a market and seeing how you know from from a business background we always look at like swot analysis so yeah. it's like you know where are the opportunities where are the threats in the market and how can you turn a weakness into a strength how can you turn a threat into an opportunity and i think you know that's just business for you
1: what are the current threats and how long do you think they're going to
0: last so, for? so so i mean um current threats are so or current weaknesses to the market for example, because of sanctions on, you know, like Russia and other areas, we're getting less of that foreign investment in specific places, which is why when you look at other markets are completely booming. For example, areas in the Middle East where, you know, a lot of that money has flown uh, has flowed into um, interest rates going up again. Interest rates going up is a very. It's relative, like because interest rates are way higher than they were five years ago, but they were also way lower than they were you know, 15 years ago. So. It sort of swings and roundabouts but obviously that affects the affordability um, within the marketplace but that being said if there are people that's you know there's, there's a mass market of people selling there's also a higher opportunity to buy at a more competitive price uh rental rents are absolutely you know they're, they're skyrocketing at the moment and you know you're seeing articles that are saying tenants are effectively having to submit cvs to rent properties you know saying like this is my this is how many landlords i've had in the same way to submit a CV. here's my because it's so competitive wow all prices or people are just competing on price i mean i put a room the other day for rent well my, my team put a room the other day for rent which is an ensuite room in greenwich it's you know maybe you could say it was slightly underpriced i think we put it on on the i think it was like a friday night by the monday morning i think they had 200 messages wow which just goes to show that there's there's a super high level of demand um And there's always going to be changes in terms of, you know, changes in the private rental sector. There's going to be changes in taxation. Um, There's potentially changes in the rent, uh, the um, serviced accommodation market. But I think really just staying on top of legislation is what will allow you to be an early adopter. And if you're the first person to make moves, you're often one of the most successful if you execute it correctly.
1: 100%. I agree with you on this one because when we started our fragrance business, um, it was, I guess, quite well known in in Middle East, Mm -hmm. but not in this part of the world. And and Mm -hmm. we kind of developed our own space. And I guess that gives us that first mover advantage as well from a credibility point of view.
0: How did you find um, like the transition in terms of working within a different, like, you know, Business or market culture, effectively between the two markets.
1: So obviously, the way our biggest challenges are, we don't deal with interest. Mm-hmm. So anything based with based on interest. So we, mm. that's back banks out of the window. That's you know overdrafts out of the window. That's credit cards out of the window. So I guess the world operates in one way, and mm-hmm. we try to operate kind mm-hmm. of in another way. So it's it's it has always been a challenge, but we've always. worked hard to kind of create our own cash flow and that's what we've done and we continue to do so and I guess that really helped us get through the whole pandemic situation as Mm -hmm. well because we didn't have people chasing us and hounding us you know Mm -hmm. to to, I guess cough up money when we weren't making money. Mm -hmm. Um, My next question to you would be how do you mitigate risks then you know every business Mm -hmm. has its own risks and and, you know what
0: do you do? So I think, you know, like I said, any investment opportunity effectively has risk. And if there's no risk, the, the reward tends to be, you know, very minute, if any, at all. So I think you firstly have to understand your attitude towards risk. Secondly, have to understand the value of risk. So I, for example, if you, for, in, in your industry, was gonna go and, you know, open a new shop in a whole new market, for example, like that could be the Canadian market. Yeah there would be a higher level of risk because you're exposing yourself to currency fluctuations, you're exposing yourself to markets that maybe don't. So th- there would need to be enough financial remuneration to take, really take that step. And I think it's the same for property that you know, when looking at different things, you have to you know, balance the level of risk based on the level of potential return. And so like, you know, we have a day, for example, we looked at a deal and it would have to make, for example, for it to be viable, a 25% return. Based on it just being a straightforward refurb where there wasn't any planning permission required, it could all like be under done either under permitted development or you know or you know uh, basically effectively pre-consented terms. If, however, you have to go and get planning and there's something that you have to do additional work for and as an additional what if factor, then we would only embark on that deal if there was a higher you know return on the capital employed. Um, in terms of risk mitigation for me it all comes down to deal analysis and i think that's the number one tool for any budding property developer the reason being is you you know people often have this thing that the the idea that you make your money when you sell but the real money is actually made when you buy from buying at the right price. And that's the same as any business for you, for example, you can have a price point and you feel like you're making your money when you sell the product at the end. But the reality is it's the fact that you've worked out what's your labor cost going to be, yeah. what's your storage cost, your logistic costs, your purchase costs, and then what margin do I expect to make? And then this allows me to say actually where I need to sell and where I need to, you know, buy these assets from. And that's really the same for us. So we reverse engineer the deal. So we do deal analysis to be able to say, okay, these are our comparables based on creating, you know, five brand new flats. They're gonna be worth maybe 2 million pounds. Now I, we think the cost of the works are gonna be X. We think the associated purchase costs are gonna be Y. Um, we would expect to make a profit margin of, you know, this, and therefore we can offer this amount early on. Um, And that effectively gives you the price that you can pay and helps to mitigate your risk. Beyond that, you also stress test the deal. So you always have a contingency and your what if. So we, for example, would look at what if build costs went up by 10%. What if the GDV, the gross development value, what the units are worth at the end, dropped by 5%. For those that for example use interest they would think about their finance costs and say what if the bill took an extra six months so we had six months higher costs of finance how would that impact it and you take into all these accounts, and it, i think it's always about being relatively conservative um, when it comes to your end values and so if it goes really well you make more money if it goes to plan then you make some but at least you effectively have
1: you ever overridden your formula Kind of uh, because you S- felt em- uh, you S- somehow I- felt an emotional attachment to a p- particular S- deal
0: so i've definitely overspent um you know sometimes like and i think i've overspent i've overspent happily and i'm you know i think it's something we do when we have a real passion for the business there may be a bathroom that i've overspent in and it's not made me any more money but it's because i wanted it to look in a certain way and it's because i thought you know what this is my brand at the end of the day that i'm attaching it to and I want the bathroom to match the quality that I want to be sort of known for. I don't think I've got to a point where I've bought a deal that's lost money. Um, but what I would say is where I'd say potentially I've lost money is by being overcautious and losing out on deals because I maybe overly estimated what the bill cost was going to be or over, you know was a bit too conservative on the end values. So I think, but again, that really just comes down to risk tolerance because some people that have been flying have made loads of money it's because they've also taken a lot of risk and for some people it really paid off and for some people maybe they sort of you know got burnt and they, they they've kind of seen their business contract slightly
1: so some people think property is really hands off and mm-hmm. you know you just buy into properties and you know mm-hmm. you're sorted you know it's it's kind of um, hands free money mm-hmm. making mm-hmm. is that true
0: uh so no in a short answer no i mean there, there are strategies for example so you hear people talk about vanilla buy to let's say so you buy a property you just you know tenant it and then it just brings you in a level of cash flow it, it is going to bring you in money but for the amount of money that you invest you know your return investment is going to be pretty low you know things can also what, happen. what is
1: low what what percentage is low
0: so for example when you look at yield in london a good yield is considered, you know, sort of above four um, percent outside of London, sort of seven, seven, eight okay. percent um, yield. But the reality is, you know, a lot of the time they're your gross yields, and they don't take into consideration well. What about your management costs? What if the boiler breaks down? What if you know the tenant moves out for a month and you've got to find a new tenant? Um, there are ways to to make your investment as as hands off and turn it, you know, into a more conventional investment vehicle with a structured return. So for example, you could buy a property, you could then give that property to a guaranteed rent company who maybe will effectively say that we will guarantee you a rent whether or not the property is empty full, they may cover repairs entirely or up to a certain amount. And that way you can then kind of benchmark your returns a lot more distinctly against what you expect and turn that property into a a more traditional investment vehicle with a fixed rate of return um but again for the luxury of the convenience you'd probably pay a penalty in the level of return you make
1: guys if you're enjoying this podcast please don't forget to like subscribe and share let's get back into it or or can you go wrong with properties i mean and if so how can you
0: go wrong oh you can you can definitely go wrong like you, you touched on something earlier on which is becoming emotionally attached Overspend, like you can pay too too much to start with you can overspend you can make mistakes the thing with property and mistakes can be costly like I've seen some some horror stories from people that you know get into property for without a level of understanding and make you know some massive mistakes like you know I think the one of the ones I touch on sometimes is a lady who um she bought a property at auction property run down house that needed some work um on the side now the auction listed it as a, as a property the day before you know so it listed it as say for example three bedroom house on at 21b day before it listed it as land at 21b now reason being was because that property actually had an enforcement notice meaning it had to be not it had to be knocked down wow. so effectively rather than buying a house you had to pay for a plot of land and have to pay to knock down the house on it and it couldn't really have another house built on wow. it again so that's you know like something that I think she did, because of what happened, she didn't, that if she bought it, she could have lost the whole £200,000. I think she ended up losing a deposit, which was maybe £20,000 and didn't complete on the sale. But, the, you know, there's, there's a lot of money, like even in terms of renovating a house. Your typical Victorian Edwardian house is 120 years old now. So you might think, oh, I'm just going to, it's just a lick of paint. I'm going to do X, Y or Z. You start pulling off the wallpaper and half the wall falls down. So there's all of these things to to think about. And I don't say that to scare anybody because there's things that can go wrong in every business. But I think it's, you know, you you hear often about people talk about your power team or like having people around you and the power of, you know, co-working and, and having the right people in the right place. So for example, you're not gonna know everything, but having a good architect, good build team, good structural engineer, good planning consultant, good solicitor, Good, you know mortgage broker if you're going to be lending like all of these people in place that effectively can help fill the gaps in your own knowledge um and hopefully make your your journey as successful as possible is
1: speed of importance to your to your business like to conclude a deal like fast enough to get moving
0: yes yeah, so i mean it, it, if you move quickly so for example if i if if you're if we're negotiating and you want a thousand pounds for your iphone and I say, I'll give you a thousand pounds, but I'm going to give it to you in a month's time. Or I say, I'll give you 900 pounds cash now. Like the chances are you do the deal. So yeah, being able to move quickly is always important. I think particularly to start with, but you have to understand what it is the person you're buying from wants because they may not want a quick sell. They may actually have to go and look for a house. So you may get no benefit from that. So I always think it's good to understand the pressure points and the sweet spots of the person you're negotiating with. In terms of time going forward, Um, and managing the actual build like yes speed is important because time is money the quicker you do it when you actually annualize your return the quicker you do it the more money you've made over over the year you could potentially do two deals in a year rather than one that being said sometimes like you know there is a workflow of the order in which you of the the way in which you need to do things the same as in any industry like you can't start saying we want to Get everything out the door and start thinking about logistics before you finalize you know the packaging process hundred yeah, so it's just like us like we can't say we can't say i'll oh, get the painters in and start painting when the plaster's not dry or they haven't finished the electrics yeah, there has to be a system there has to be a <laughs> exactly. workflow 100
1: percent. now do you see the technological advance advancements like ai being a problem to your game or or are you ring fenced in in a safe way um
0: I mean, and, and until they, they physically start building the houses with AI. <laughs> but I mean, there's this, I think, you know, technology, there's always that same thing I said about being an early adapter or, you know, an early adopter of technology. So, for example, whether or not you use technology, for example, the software, like something called Land Insight. And that effectively is like a Google Maps with all the bells and whistles. It can tell you who owns a property, if it's in a flood risk area, if there's been previous planning on the property, and you can select these things. And that's not AI. So Land Insight is,
1: is, is a subscription
0: software. It's a subscription-based software or? that okay. you can use. So you pay a subscription, then you you have a login, and you can see. Like imagine you could say this: this area was somewhere in East London and you can see the title, see what, you know, what comes under a specific title, then whether or not you know, it's in a flood risk area, whether or not um, there's been previous planning, for example, who the owner is. So I guess potentially of AI and integrations, you could use that to be able to identify properties. Because at the moment we do it manually to identify properties yeah. that are maybe ripe for development, but the use of AI and, and technology potentially, you could do that. But I think the reality is you know, with, with AI in general, It's always about how you can best utilize it to serve your business. And if everybody else is using something and you're not, you you'd be like the guy that's you know when everybody else has aircon and you've still got the fan in the ceiling. Like when you're trying to run a hotel, (laughs) you're no longer competitive because there's a higher level of service that's being offered. So I think the use the utilization of AI is all about remaining competitive.
1: But from a business point of view, do you think sometimes people put too much reliance on on technology as well like okay let ai do this or let ai do that and they kind of want to be as hands off as possible
0: yes um the people put too much some people some businesses do but then some of the most successful businesses in the world do that because it's about automation i think when you see something that's working it's all about who can do it best so for example we're very used now to going into tesco's and using the self-checkout yeah And they do that because if, for example, somewhere wasn't doing that, they'll get to a point in time where they weren't competitive. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, if we look at AI, if, for example, AI is now able to do a lot of more repetitive or menial tasks, like areas of copywriting, if you're still employing somebody £40,000 a year to do copywriting, you've got 10 of those people. So you've got an additional £400,000 worth of overheads, potentially as a media company, and somebody else is... Paying AI a hundred pound subscription they're way more competitive, so unless you know the, the quality is so much better, I think it's always a quantity quality sort of yeah. argument, and I don't think there's a right way of doing things, but there's a right way of doing it for your specific business
1: so now let's let's use this example. I am an investor mm-hmm. who is a first time buyer. Mm-hmm. Who's got fifty thousand pound cash to spend? Mm. But I don't want to go into bank and mortgage mm-hmm. and stuff. Which area would I need to look at, and how would I go about with my fifty thousand pound? Can I do something with fifty thousand pound?
0: Fifty thousand is you're on, you know. But so, 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 for example, obviously to to avoid interest and you know like to be, you know, with like when you look at um, being able to to do business without interest, you know, it's sometimes it's about collaborative working because you can jointly you know work together and share the profits so a lot of the time if you can't if you are at a mm-hmm. point where you know you can't do it alone it's about you know finding somebody who you feel comfortable working alongside and you know effectively pooling resources to be able to do your first you know first first invest and that's a way a lot of people you know Get round obviously having to do borrowing by working together with fifty thousand pounds. It's not to say it's impossible, but you're probably at like you know the the limit of what you need. So, for example, there are areas in Wales, for example, in South Wales around the valley that you can still buy properties for. You know, you can buy houses. This isn't flat. You can buy houses for forty thousand pounds, for example. The only downsides that generally those properties would probably need so you buy the property if you're a first-time buyer then you would have no stamp duty you would have legal costs of maybe two thousand pounds so if you buy for forty thousand pounds now you're at forty two thousand you don't have any cost of finance but then you do maybe have to have a survey maybe that's another five hundred pounds you don't have to have a survey but i would always recommend getting a survey Um, and then generally speaking those type of properties would need a significant level of works now in some cases it may be as low as ten thousand. sometimes it could be a lot more depending on the condition of the property Uh, we could also look at for example flats in the north of england in a lot of areas but it's all about you know it's not just where's cheap because there's a big difference between cheap and good value for money and i I use the example of if there were two pairs of trainers and one was a night pair of trainers and was 30 pounds and one was a primark pair of trainers and was 20 pounds you could maybe afford both and the, the £20 ones is cheaper, but the night pair may represent much better value for money because realistically it's worth a hundred. Yeah. So I don't, being able to afford it doesn't always mean that that's the area that you should buy in.
1: Understood, understood. Because uh, recently someone was telling me, oh, um, I bought um, in Newcastle mm-hmm. and, you know, I bought it for 30,000 and, mm-hmm. you know, I bought my second one and I'm going to buy, continue to buy more and more properties yeah. in those areas. I mean, is that a good way About, to go? Or? So uh,
0: so for example, there there is a strategy where you could say, okay, you know, I'm gonna look at these properties and they cost approximately, let's say we use the 50,000 pounds. You can buy them all in for 50,000 pounds. I think depending on, you know, what the level of rents are, it depends if that works for you. So let's say you're buying a property for 50,000 pounds and for argument's sake, you know, you can rent it for Three hundred pounds a month. You, know, you probably get but mm-hmm. just for argument's sake, you've rented it for three hundred pounds a month. It means you're getting three thousand six hundred pounds a year, which means, give us based on um, buying it for fifty thousand, it means your yields about seven point two percent, gross, which you know is is a good return on your investment in terms of that's the level of profit that it's making you. Um, I think for me, it that you know you've got two things: you've got cash flow, and then you've got capital appreciation. Because unless you're really blessed, at a certain point, you're going to run out of, you know, you're going to run out of money. So it's all about trying to see how you can not only just have a good cash flow, but also increase the value of these properties. So if you were to buy a property for 50,000 pounds and you spend 20,000 pounds, and then it's worth 100,000, if you sell that property, you've now got 30,000 pounds profit. That If you could buy that, you could then go and buy another property and almost quote unquote buy it for free and still benefit from the cash flow. So I think if you can, you know kind of like you say have two horses in the race and be running your cash flow at the same time as you're running your capital appreciation yeah it's probably more of a model where you could achieve your long-term goals of building out a property portfolio that's going to yield the level of return that would maybe allow you to live the lifestyle you want to want to live through property well, investment
1: if someone gave you fifty thousand pounds now say look say property by mm. is starting out. He doesn't, I mean, mm-hmm. he's got the experience, mm-hmm. he's got the know-how of 10 years, but he's mm-hmm. lost it all. Mm-hmm. Now here's 50 pound. What, what are you going to do with this 50,000? 50, 50,000.
0: 50, 50. So I, I would probably try and leverage my my experience. I'd say, you know what, like you know, in terms of where my I wholly work in London, I have to be very transparent. That's been my area of expertise. That being said, I've helped people, you know, all over the UK with their property journeys. And, you know, there's a specific area in Liverpool that I think, you know, maybe for not with the 50,000, but what I would do is I would go and as a starting point, to be honest with you, as a starting point, I would first use my experience to go and find amazing deals. So for example, because I'm really good at deal analysis, I would use some of my time and allocate that towards finding great deals. Now, even if I don't have the money to do it, because I can you know package these deals to people you could be selling these deals to property investors from anywhere from two to five thousand pounds now I have cash flow now I've got money coming in I'm building myself up you know a level of cash flow which means I can I'm not eating into that fifty thousand because if you're not like making money you need that money to live live Um, so I try and build up that cash flow simultaneously when I'm building because if I'm making people money like I have I've just sold John, Mo, Ahmed, I've sold everybody at all these deals and they, they've good deals and they've made money. They're now going to have faith for me. So when I now come back to them, I say, look, I've got another deal, but I'd like a partner on this one. You know, I've built those relationships with relevant stakeholders in the industry. I look to partner on something, maybe like a house that we're looking to convert into, you know, a HMO in somewhere like Liverpool. Um probably look to maybe get them to match the money i'm putting in because ideally when you invest with somebody you want to see that they've got skin in the game too they've got some money in the deal that if we win we all win and if we lose we lose together so i'm trusting that you're going to do it to the best of your ability um so i'd probably look to do that do a hmo conversion um so from a typically probably a two to three bedroom terraced house into a five bedroom hmo that get like stabilize the rent from that. So get it, you know, basically yielding well to the point that it looks like a good investment and then sell that to somebody else who wants to buy, you know, a a standalone buy-to-let product and then look to repeat the process until I've got enough money to come back to London and get into my... So
1: the idea is never to kind of lose sight of that initial 50K and keep building on top.
0: Yeah, so it, so in an ideal world, you know, you, you know, if we've, when, we, when we're speaking just in terms of as a cash buyer, you know, you really can be in two places. You can be in kind of wealth preservation mode where you're like, look, this is my 50K, I want it to stay there and I just want it to make me money. But if your goals are that I want 500K, 5 million, for example, you know, by just buying one property and leaving it sitting there, it's not gonna achieve that. So effectively, you can either be in wealth preservation mode, which is just buying the property or wealth creation mode, where you're proactively trying to build that 50k Understand. and that's by making your money work for you so by effectively you invest that money into the property with a strategy to increase the value
1: yeah i guess i think i'm i'm, I'm of the mindset now i think it's more on the preservation side mm-hmm. so obviously we're quite good with retail mm-hmm. but retail is not anchored to the ground so. Yeah.
0: so so for example like people look at a strategy and let's say for example you can buy a house all in for fifty thousand pounds but you say, look, you know, I'm not in the property space, so I want to, I've got a million pounds. That means for a million pounds, I can buy 20 of these houses. Now, if each of them, for example, are cash flowing 500 pounds a month, that means that by the time you've got, you know, 20 of them, you're making, what's my maths? 10,000, am I right? double, Yeah, making 10,000 pounds, for example. So that's now your cash flow. You're making on a monthly basis from these houses and it's really looking at okay how much money would you have to invest um over time for it to you know basically be seen as a worthwhile investment for you
1: yeah no understand understand so um i've got a um, few quick questions before i uh we finish um and i guess that the idea is to try and get you get to know you a little mm-hmm. bit better and hopefully for the for the kind of purpose of our audience as well so what phone do you
0: use apple or android I mean, it has to be apple um, i've got to, i've got to the point good. where if somebody gives me another phone you might as well give it to me in chinese as well because
1: <laughs> good <laughs> good good answer good answer Um uh, there is a cool picture of you with with stormzy mm-hmm. um tell us a little bit more how did that happen
0: uh, he's a he's a friend of mine so i amazing. knew amazing yes he's a friend of mine good phrase a lo- lovely brother a really really clean-hearted guy um yeah so that's that's wow my friend. <laughs>
1: wow that is so cool that is so cool he's i guess i find him very inspirational yeah no, um are there any famous celebrities that you worked with on a on a, on a project or, or, or deal
0: um not 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 that i can mention obviously. okay yes yeah, so okay. not that i can mention i've got some guys like you know some some young footballers that i've been helping in their property journey um you know but is there anybody that I can i can't i don't think nobody i've
1: noticed you have to be quite careful with with what you say on on social media is that, is that a thing like in a way you're kind of extra careful with, i mean just with your in words. general even
0: people that have you know done well whether they're celebrities whether they're you know people that are high net worth they you, they pay for their privilege and you know that they, the reason that you'll use a specific service is because of you know confidentiality and because of the respect for your privacy
1: amazing amazing so there are a few people there are some people who are in it for quick run mm. crypto 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 mm-hmm. currency foreign exchange um,
0: what are your thoughts? Um, I mean look like if you, if you can make money in it you know and you're good at certain things why not I think it's just and it sounds like I'm saying the same thing but it's risk and reward like you know you can be in it and you can make a lot of money you can lose a lot of money. I think it's not bad to diversify yeah. So like if you've got a primary you know vocation you know where a lot of your money is they always you know I think when they were talking about crypto they said don't put more than five percent of your of your net worth into crypto like they wouldn't advise you to put five percent into something that you know can fluctuate a lot um, I personally you know don't have much money in those places just because I don't have the level of understanding personally. And also don't have the time to di- didn't have the time to diversify. I've seen some people that have been super successful in it. But I always look at success for other people. They're like, that's amazing for you and I'm happy for you. But I don't look at it, oh, I missed out. It's just
1: Or oh, is it because you are more of a hands-on guy, you like to create things and you want to see that kind of thing come to life?
0: Yeah, I mean, like, don't get me wrong. If somebody turned around and, you know, made me a couple million in crypto, I wouldn't be like, oh, I haven't seen it come to life. I'd still <laughs> enjoy the money. But um, I think it's just understanding. Like I like yeah. to be able to understand stuff, and I guess yeah. I, because I didn't or don't, I've probably not really yeah. dabbled in the same way.
1: Understand. Now there's a there's a trend of property influencers, you know, mm. coming up with books. Mm-hmm. You know, is there something um, coming from yourself in the pipeline? If do you know, so, what? For what
0: would a, you call it? For so for so long, people have been like, oh, like you know, do you mentor? Can you? Um, like, can you mentor me? Uh, can you put out like some type of course, some e-learning? And I was just like, I was just, personally, I guess I was like, oh, I'm not ready yet. I don't know. But the more people I speak to and the more people that I've been able to help and I'm like, okay, if I can turn this into something, um, I will also say, look, there's nothing there concrete for now, um, but it is something that potentially would work on. Maybe not, probably not a book, but more of like a how-to guide. So I wanna move away from, let me guarantee you money. But like here is a if you're for example looking for a framework of a specific structure, how to buy properties at auction, how to manage a renovation, how to convert a one bed to two bed, how to convert offices into residential, and I will create specific frameworks that people can pick up and buy that can help them act as a sounding board along their journey. Um, outside of that, we recently launched the pbk community which is effectively like a community in a paid whatsapp group of people where they have access to some of like my power team um, in terms of answering their questions but it's also a community of people to kind of help
1: how much is it to to be involved in 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 the community
0: say so it was 150 pounds and that sold out straight away uh, the first a, what of, is that a one month, off or a month, a month okay on a month um we're saying and we're, we're sort of like drip feeding It's i think mid june we're going to release another 25 places okay. and that will be at 199 pounds a month but it's not something that we're like you know trying to make loads and loads of money it's effectively like you know we're going to build it to the point that we feel that it's sustainable and yeah. everybody gets great value for money and then it will just be closed off and be a case of one in one out because it's not a lifetime subscription yeah. you can stay in there for as long as you feel that you're getting value from it
1: 100% now the red Porsche um mm. tell us about the red Porsche I mean so
0: it's actually orange you know apparently yes it's a factory color so it's love lava, lava orange
1: <laughs> nice nice the designer clothes mm. the skydiving mm. is that kind of the is that what drives you forward to kind of try and nah, succeed I mean, more in life or, like,
0: or the thing is like a nice car like the reality is like if you just want a nice car mm-hmm. You can buy one like HMO property that cash flows two grand a month, for example, and you can go and buy a Lamborghini Euro, or you can put down some money and lease a Lamborghini Euros, for example. I don't think like just being able to to buy stuff. Like, obviously, money gives you options to be able to do things. I right? to be able to travel, like skydiving. I like to have fun. I'm like sporty. I'm always doing something, whether it's rock climbing, skydiving, tennis, bungee jumping. I like, you know, I guess I like. Um, adrenaline on that side, yeah, yeah, I can a, imagine. And the Porsche was like, it's nice to have, like, it's, it's nice to do, but I'm not even a why car not brand.
1: another brand? Why not? Why why Porsche? What drove you to go for g- Porsche? It was even why? so
0: funny about that. I don't know anything about cars, you know, people stop you and be like, Oh my god, this is an XY, like, yeah, yeah, g- g-, I'm like, I know that it's orange and it's a Porsche, that's <laughs> as much as I know. So I liked it. I just, I liked it. I didn't really see them about at the time, like, they it was kind of they. I literally was one of the first people to get, like, you know, when it just came out. I'd ordered it online. I'd never seen it, never test drove it. And I ordered an orange car and it was coming You've in six You've taken a months.
1: massive risk. I mean, as uh,
0: you, it seems like you don't like to take much <laughs> I risk. I know, but I didn't really see it. But then, do you know what? I was, so the whole time after I'd ordered it online and I'm thinking, I'm the idiot who's just ordered an orange car. And then <laughs> when it turned up on the day and they delivered it, I was like... Oh, this is quite nice. <laughs> so um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I like the car. I've enjoyed it, and you know, cars are so expensive now that it's like I've I've been saying like for the last year, or maybe I change my car. And every time I look, I'm like, I'm not paying that. Like, you yeah, know? no, yeah, absolutely. So, so they're so expensive right now. So if there's any car guys out there that can give me some recommendations of what to buy next, you know, make sure you let me know.
1: What's, uh what's your? I guess uh, is that your ultimate dream car, or what? What would it be?
0: I think. You know, I'm got used to the, the four by fours. I think I'm a fan of them now. I think probably a Cullinan like nice, is my nice my car. I think that potentially I feel like I feel like that has to be my next car. Yeah. That's why I'm like, I'm not changing for now. Like until yeah. till hold I hold off until you Yeah, until I feel comfortable. I like that. I don't <clears> know. Like, but in saying that, like, I had a, so I got a Honda Civic when I was 21. I think about 20, 21, I got a Honda Civic. It was time. It was a nice Honda Civic. Spent a decent amount of money on it. Like, and I probably could have got the one series or the three series. We've got that reliable car. And there is a lot to be said, like, that, although we, we're kind of not joking, but talking about, you know, these really high-end cars, you know, there's always a time for it. And that Honda Civic saw me through. When I say my first property developments, sand and cement, tiles, fridge, freezers, everything went in that car. And... That car was reliable all i've ever done is service mot that car and it's that change the brakes to see me through we've still got i still own that car today because i can't get rid of it because even just to have as a car to give to someone say i'll oh, just use this car make
1: sure you preserve that car that
0: car you know like when it, i don't know like top gear used to do it they had this like i can't remember what car it was like a four by four truck they had it was like i feel like when i finally you know get my dream house I'm gonna like, I ever turn like the engine yeah. into like a feature in the living room, or yeah, bury the car in the to. garden. You, have <laughs> you <to>. know,
1: <laughs> you have to definitely, definitely. Um, if property wasn't mm. your mm-hmm. game, what would it? What would it be? What what could it be? So what would be the next I, industry? I
0: think, I think about this sometimes because you know sometimes as a businessman and entrepreneur, like I don't know if you've ever had these moments, but I was speaking to a friend once and he was like, "Oh, like yeah, call me on this number because this is my work phone and I turn it off at five o'clock." And I was like oh, you just turn off. You just switch <laughs> off and that's it. And I thought, working seems like, seems quite good. <laughs> so, and I was thinking about it, but I don't, I think I'd get bored working in the same place all the time, me personally, not there's anything wrong with working, yeah. but for me personally, knowing my my attitudes, like, so I always thought that if I was going to do something in the workspace, I think business consultancy, like the idea of being able to look at a business from a top level and see how you can optimize it, make it more efficient and help somebody with their business. That So that's something um i've always been interested in but 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 saying that even though i'm what 33 about to be 34 if i wasn't a property developer i'd genuinely want to be a gamer like a streamer like headset on me here no that is genuinely i promise i was good
1: wow <laughs> was wow good. wow impressive impressive i hope you have enjoyed the show today if you have liked the show please subscribe like comment And spread the word by sharing this video with whoever you think will benefit. Thank you and see you next time.